Hey y'all, welcome in to the Saturday, May 21st, 2022 edition here on the Chase Jones Podcast. Uh, Two-hour show for you guys today. Uh, first up, we got Go Big Orange Friday with Rocky Top Insiders Ryan Shumpert and uh, the UTK Daily Beacon alumni uh, Ethan Stone, both graduating today uh, here at the University of Tennessee, so shout out to those guys and uh, well, uh, just uh well wishes and uh, very excited for them and what the future holds. But um, yeah, so we talk all things Vols and hour one here on the Chase Thomas podcast. So very excited for that. And then hour two, stick around for that. We've got Atlanta sports guys, Garrett Chapman and Max Markovich, all things Atlanta sports. So very local uh, heavy uh, edition of the Saturday, May 21st, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast. But first up, uh, hour number one here with Ryan and Ethan, we talk about Tennessee baseball, the series with Mississippi State, uh, Mr. Burke coming on late this season, the uh, consistency with Chase Dolander as we go into Hoover next week, uh, Tennessee adding another uh, name in the uh, in the recruiting cycle, uh, three-star kid from uh, up north, um, which another another addition for this. 2023 uh, class because uh, we'll see if he reclassifies for 2022 this summer but that's to be seen uh, of course we recorded right before dj jefferson uh, picked uh, university of tennessee uh, later this afternoon so shout out to dj and uh, rick barnes for adding another big name four star kid so uh, really excited for that um, but yeah we talk about that tennessee uh, football tennessee basketball all that and more here on Go Big Orange Friday here on the Chase Month Podcast. Uh, it's halftime as I'm taping this for uh, Warriors-Mavs. Uh, watching it late because I don't watch a lot of stuff live. That's the thing about me that I don't know if a lot of people know. Is I don't have time. I got to like I gotta prioritize and I tape a lot of stuff and watch it when I can. So uh, I have to – there's some obviously things I can't. Football, I don't really – I'm not really able to do that. But other sports, I can get away with. Uh, the key is just don't have your phone nearby and uh, – yeah, <laughs> so they don't get uh, spoiled for you. But uh, very exciting game thus far. Threes everywhere. Um, great Luca, uh, Jalen, and Steph game thus far. So excited to see how that turns out in the second half. No spoilers, even though it already happened when you're listening to this. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can watch this very program on YouTube, youtube.com, type in the Chase Homes Podcast, subscribe to us there, watch all of our video components and all that good stuff. So if you would prefer to watch the program, you can do so very easily. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But if you're an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener, uh, please make sure today that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review. It helps other people find the show, and it helps this show continue to grow. Uh, you can also read me at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Sports Renaissance Man, that's me. And uh, yeah, all right, hour one here on the Chase Most Podcast. Let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back. Go Big Orange Friday here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am joined by two people that, once you hear this edition of the podcast, will be walking across the stage at Thompson Bowling Arena. Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Just know that whatever time you're listening to it, mm. at that time is the exact time that I'm I'm walking across the stage. There you go. Uh, even for the like the folks that because this will go up at 3 a.m. East Coast time for the folks wondering like, are is it that early? And it's like, yeah, it is that early. It is. Uh, people forget. People forget. Yeah. Uh, Ethan Stone also here now retired from the UTK Daily Beacon five star preps. Uh, he's just been all over uh, Knoxville, checking out all kinds of different baseball teams and uh, stalking me at Tommy Shumpert Park um, on campus. Wherever I go, Ethan's not too far behind me, I've learned. So, Ethan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, and it's it's pretty eerie, right? I, mm-hmm. I do happen to be following you everywhere. I just realized that when you said that. But, yeah, I've been doing a lot of baseball coverage uh, around town. A lot of good baseball in, in Knoxville, I've, I've figured I out. thought about so. Yeah, absolutely. I thought about sending you another note because when I saw that you were live tweeting your uh, disc golf uh, coverage in uh, in Shumpert, um, I had literally just been there when you had said that I had left because I took her 
Uh, oh, wow. Just hit my head on the mic. Um, just took Khaleesi the dog over there um, like maybe an hour before that. So it's just uh, Ryan. I, like the, the continuity on this podcast is is palpable with Shumpert Park and Ryan's grandfather having that. That's where I uh, proposed to my fiance. That's where Ethan uh, loses at disc golf. I, I don't know. This is There's a lot over there. There is. It, it's funny that both of y'all go to Tommy Shumpert Park significantly more than I do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite quite funny, and it, it makes a, a nice uh, unison here on the podcast. It's the best dog park. Um, I know a lot of people go there for disc golf, but uh, I can take the dog without a leash and just walk around. I cut like I have my route. It's good to go. Like I, I just uh, enjoy the. It's a good park uh, for folks that are wondering. Hey, what's your park take on Knoxville? I'm like Tommy Shumper Park. It's a good park. It's like top two. I'd say top, top two. two? Ooh. Well, I think Victor you know, Ash. Do you know it's number one for me? And I don't think it's even a park, but I do that. I was uh, in between finals this week. Uh, I would like, all right, I got to take a walk. I cannot be in Hodges for like 12 hours straight. This is killing my soul. And I uh, I went over to Sequoia Hills. Sequoia Hills is like my favorite walk. Like the Sequoia Hills walk and just seeing the houses and just seeing the the just the, the beauty of Sequoia Hills and the, the river and everything. That's probably my number one, I think. Yeah, it's pretty good. Sequoia Hills is good um maybe in the future maybe in the future i'll i'll be rocking a house in sequoia hills me and uh who, who could i live next to tyler bray well, once his nfl career wraps up maybe he and i can just become good sequoia hills buddies i don't know um well we do know one thing and that is that the tennessee basketball team uh they added at least one more name uh he will it seems he's going to reclassify correct that awaka who is a teammate of Zakai, he knew Zakai pretty well. Three-star kid, big, um, another good fit for Rick Barnes, but kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. No one really saw this coming this week, but uh, Ryan, what do you make of his commitment? Yeah, so as of now, I'm still calling him a class of 2023 guy. I mean, I think the the possibility for him to reclassify is there, and that's definitely uh, wouldn't be surprising. But as of right now, I mean, he says he's in the class of 2023. I haven't heard anything different and no I think it's a good get because in some ways he's a de- developmental big man but he's not in the way that Hanjay Tomba was where you're seeing you don't see a path to him finding finding the court for two or three years I don't think that's the that's the case here and what he can do rebounding wise and def- I think defensively uh, makes it a much quicker path uh, to the court for him I mean a lot of the developmental guys Tennessee's taken you look at it their body is not in the right shape whether that's DJ Burns being too big or a guy like Tomba who is, is too skinny and needs to add a lot of weight. Kyle Alexander was the same example. Obviously, that was a very successful um, project for Tennessee. So an uh, elite rebounder, he leads the EYBL, which is Nike's AAU circuit in, in rebounding. And Tennessee, like you said, goes back up to New York City and tries to get a, another under-the-radar recruit and hope it, it pans out the way Ziegler did last winter. Ethan, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I hadn't heard too much about him until about two weeks ago when I found out that he was taking his official visit. So I look into him a little bit, and I was expecting exactly what Ryan was talking about with Hanji Tomba, just kind of a developmental guy that, because he's unclassified on 24-7, um, obviously doesn't have any stars. And, I, you know, he I, I noticed that he came from the same, I guess, AAU circuit that Zakai Ziegler did, and I thought that was interesting. So I gave it a look, and, I mean, he can shoot the three. He's, he's definitely more physical than I would have thought he was going to be. And I think I agree with Ryan there. I, I I would think under Barnes, he wouldn't play this season. And that's why he's probably going to stay in the 2023 ranks. And he probably won't reclassify in my opinion. But he certainly has, I feel like, the intangibles to be able to compete and, you know, maybe get a role player position for, for Tennessee in, and who knows how long. And obviously that's still a work in progress for him. And he's by no means a specimen that Brandon Huntley Hatfield was when he first got to Tennessee. Um, but he, I, I feel like he definitely has the ability to to be able to play the play the game more than you would think a uh, a guy without any stars on twenty four seven would here in a couple seasons. So I think it's a good get. I do. I wonder if it depends on who the final uh, scholarship spot is. If it's another big, then he definitely doesn't reclassify. But if it's a guard and they fill that last spot, maybe because they never really addressed the BHH transfer, that they're like, well, if you want to reclassify, it couldn't hurt because we did not expect Sakai to play. We thought we were going to redshirt him and he was not going to be in the rotation. And then, of course, that changed. So 
I don't know. Uh, maybe they're leaving it open-ended for... I don't know when you have to... Is there a date that you have to announce when you reclassify? How does that work? I don't think so. I mean, hmm. you just look at the Zakai situation last year. He visited Tennessee when classes had already started <laughs> and was planning on... Well, he has said now that he was never planning on going to prep school, but his hmm. plan at the time was to go to prep school. And in the middle of late August, or may have been even early September, he says, all right, well, I'm just going to reclassify and come to Tennessee. So... I don't really think there's an exact date and kind of to your point, while there may not be a lot of immediate playing time to find this year for him, I would think Tennessee hundred percent wants to get him on campus because you look at the roster for the next season, 2023, 24, and potentially use Olivier could potentially lose Euros. I mean, there's going to be a lot of turnover really over the whole entire roster, but this name, not even specifically, but definitely in the interior too. And there's going to be, opportunities for new faces to come and make a big impact and I think getting him on campus this year and a year in the system and understanding things as we've seen time and time again with different players could could pay huge dividends for him for two seasons down the road Ethan do you see them add it who do you see them adding with that final spot I guess they assumed that it was going to be Yuri Collins and they'd be done at this point but they still have one open spot is it going to be the guy that Rob Lewis and the Volquist folks uh, allude to or it's just the random euro that we're just not familiar with um i guess one of the the doomsday scenarios is that like jjj and santi both stay in the draft where oh no suddenly we have all these open spots that uh and key rotation spots that we cannot address uh this summer so i don't know it seems very unlikely that either uh stay in the draft but um tom cream sees santi as an nba player that was something that he uh he was like, yeah, that, that dude's an NBA player. So that's interesting that both those guys should be in the league um, sooner rather than later. But uh, what do you think of the last spot, Ethan? Well, if if I'm not mistaken, there's three left. Am, am I Are right, there three? Ryan? I thought there was one now. There's because, three because... If, if Awaka is in 2023. Yeah. If he's in 2022, there's two spots. Okay. All right. Yeah. And and so that, that puts even more of an emphasis on your point that I mean, no one's no one's even really uh, giving the thought any credence that Desai and, and Santi will will leave for the draft to be, mm. because it, it seems like a foregone conclusion that they're coming back. If for some reason they decide, you know what, I'm fine with that second round money and I'm I'm fine with going in the draft, Tennessee would probably be in a world of trouble because mm. then you're looking at five open spots. Um, and obviously at that point, I feel like Awaka would probably reclassify, but that, that's we can kick the can down the road for that. I feel. Uh, as far as replacing those two, you you just don't really know because obviously DJ Jefferson, he's um, I believe he's making his decision today between Tennessee Wake Forest and Washington State. Um, mm. He's a three-star, four-star guy, uh, guard out of I believe Minnesota. Um, I think Tennessee really likes him. I feel like Tennessee's the favorite to land him. But even with that, even if Tennessee were to get that, they still have those two positions left. So I would think it's something similar to just Zakai last year, a guy that comes out of nowhere at the at the end of the um, at the end of the trail, just when school starts. Maybe something like that. Maybe they pick up another guy like Hanji Tomba, just as a I guess a workshop sort of dude that might want to sit around because. I kind of said it a while ago that I, I feel like Tennessee, their their starting lineup slash their rotation is pretty much set at this point, especially if Santi and Josiah stay. I mean, you've got nine, ten guys, if you count BG Edwards, that could legitimately play the game and I, I feel like get you to where you want to be. But you still want those guys that can, you know, sit on the bench in, in case of in injury, in case of some freak accident, in case, uh, I don't know, someone gets arrested. You just never know. Uh, you you want to, I guess, keep that, uh, I guess, amount of people that, that you can just keep moving forward, I guess, and, and uh, work them up so that they can play here in a couple of years. But I, I feel like you just got to get to that point and wait and see. It's it's one of those things that someone will just kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but we'll see. I'm not worried about it. I think Barnes done a really good job. And I think DJ Jefferson, he has like 100% uh, uh, prediction on 247 I just saw so it seems like that's pretty likely um that he winds up in the rotation or on, on the roster uh on the football standpoint uh one player who will not be on the roster is Jalen Robinson who picked the portal king Lane Kiffin in lieu of reuniting with Josh Heupel here on Rocky Top um Ryan what did you what did you make of Jalen Robinson not picking the balls and is that an issue at all um I don't know if I made a ton out of it because, you know, I kind of felt like it was going to be Tennessee or Ole Miss and it could go either way. And 
I don't think it's a huge issue. I mean, we, we've talked about it on here. When you look at Robinson and Brew McCoy, uh, the debate we had a couple weeks ago where, you know, they're, Robinson's more proven. He's had more success. He's been in Hypo's system. But Tennessee has pretty good uh, depth in, in the slot receiver spot, which is where he plays in and out wide they don't. So uh, certainly I think he's a guy Tennessee 100% wanted to add. I think he would have had a, had a great chance to be uh, a starter or, or play a, a ton of snaps and catch a lot of passes this year at Tennessee. It's 100% a guy Tennessee wanted, so I'm not trying to say it to say this to mean anything like Tennessee didn't want him or anything. Say 100% wanted of him, and he 100% would have helped Tennessee. But I think Tennessee has the depth in, in the slot that it's not going to be a crippling loss for the Vols, and they'll be able to, to move on. And it's just like what we talked about last week. It's just going to be – we were talking about how it would alleviate pressure off these guys, but now it's just more pressure on Jalen Hyatt, more pressure on Jimmy Callaway, and then maybe on one of the freshman receivers. Squirrel White probably seems like the, the obvious candidate for – those guys to step up and be able to, to be productive players for Tennessee this year. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Eden? Yeah, I think Ryan pretty much nailed it on the head. It's, it's one of those things that Tennessee would love to have, but if you can't have it, it's not the end of the world. Um, they're just exactly what Ryan said, more potential for guys to step up more, more for guys like Jalen Hyatt, like Cedric Tillman to really raise the roof there. And, and, I guess just keep moving forward because I feel like Heupel's offense is going to be fine with or without Jalen Robinson. It would probably be better with Jalen Robinson, but but when it comes down to it, I feel like Tennessee's offense has never really been the problem. And I, I feel like Heupel will work around it perfectly fine. Just He's still got plenty of weapons at the end of the day. I think that might be part of uh, the rationale there where it's just he looked at it and he was like he was not guaranteed. They were probably like Jalen Heights penciled in there. You're going to compete with Jalen. And I mean, splitting snaps and he's trying to get to the league and I don't know. There's just a better. It's le, it's not a risk if he had picked Tennessee over Ole Miss, but there's just a better opportunity for him. Uh, I think at Ole Miss, I think it's fine. Uh, but it would have been nice to continue adding to the cupboard with the receiver room. But uh, it is what it is. Um, big recruiting weekend next weekend on Memorial Day. Nico's back. I think Francis Maliala is coming up for that. A um, couple big JUCO kids. I was listening to. I think it was Go Vols 24-7 about this. Uh, a couple of big Juco kids coming in. Um, it's a big group, it seems like, that will be here for more Memorial Day weekend. Carnell Tate's not coming, but he had a surprise appearance, apparently, at the Georgia game. That uh, I don't know if we were all there, but I know Ryan and I were there. Um, so that's uh, that's interesting. Um, but what do, you, what do you make of the Memorial Day group of kids coming through next week, uh, Ethan? I mean, it's it's just important, right? And I, I've written down a couple of people I saw here. At, at the very least, there's Caleb Beasley, one of mm. the top guys in the state of Tennessee. I know cornerback. He's he's coming. I believe he's class of 2024, if I'm not mistaken. Um, a lot of 2023 guys. I believe I just saw that. Um, is it Bradley? I believe the the edge rusher. Vic Bradley. Yeah. yeah, one of the really good edge rushers. He's going to be on on his visit. He announced it, I believe, yesterday. So there's there's just a lot of hype around that because obviously Tennessee and hype are going to just want to keep adding all their guys. And and obviously with Carnell Tate coming to the Georgia game, and it certainly seems like Tennessee is high on his radar, and obviously uh, vice versa for for Heupel. And and so the it, it's I feel like just just like every other one, I feel like Heupel is really going to be wanting to uh, to get these guys to campus and and. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Carnell's a good example, too, when people are like the NIL stuff and uh, players are the pay-to-play stuff and the, oh, this, that, and the other. And Carnell's a good example of how that's not even close to the whole story, where Carnell is choosing between Brian Hartline and just the immediate success of Buckeye receivers and just like you have three a run of three in the NFL draft this past year. And they win, obviously, and then you just see the numbers that Tillman and company put up last year. He's choosing between the two best options for him to put up bonkers numbers right away. Like, yeah, NIL uh, is an important thing these days, but I think people have lost their minds in terms of, like, how recruiting's going because – and that's something with Tennessee that I think we're going to have to push back from uh, on, rather, because I think a lot of people are just like, oh, NIL is just getting Tennessee back in the game. It's like, I mean, that's part of it, you could say, but – the other main part of it is just I think kids want to play in the system and that Heupel and Golish and this group and Rodney Garner and Tim Banks and uh, everyone involved is doing a really good job of recruiting and getting these guys like excited to play in this system and that it's fun and that you now have some data and some film to show them of like, hey, this could be you. Uh, here's how you could do this. And hey, you want to transfer? Here's how we use Javante Payton. Like there's just 
there's more of a track record and i think uh that goes a lot longer for a lot of guys than uh people want to give credit to um on that on that front but that i'll get off my soapbox for a second but uh ryan what do you what do you think about those guys uh anyone else outside of who ethan named that you're excited about this weekend okay y'all combine two people into one it's chandavian bradley and vic burley so yeah vic burley Wait, I said Vic Burley. Who said who didn't who didn't say Vic Burley? You said Bradley, and then you said Ethan. I think he combined Chase Herring. You said yeah, or Caleb Herring. Yeah, yeah, Vic Bradley. So, oh, but those are two five star, high four star pass rushers, and Mm -hmm. I think that's a position that's incredibly important for Tennessee, just because of how many points are often scores in the first quarter starts. I mean, it's the old Indianapolis Colts system with Peyton Manning. You got to get a quarterback who's going to get you in the lead, and then go get two guys who can get after the passer because the other team's going to have to throw the ball a lot. So. That stands out, and I thought the Cardinal Tate thing was, you know, him not coming in for a visit for the Memorial Day weekend. I almost thought that that was a much better situation for Tennessee to get him in, kind of in a more one-on-one. I mean, he's been up in a junior day in January and then the big recruiting weekend that they had in March with Nico. So he's been a part of the big recruiting weekends, but he hasn't been there in an instance where it's just him on campus. He's going to get to spend a ton of time with the coaches one-on-one talking things over. So I think that's really beneficial, and this is kind of just to your point, but I mean, you look at where Tennessee is having recruiting success right now. It's the same spots that they did last year. I mean, they had, they've had significantly more success this year than they did last mm-hmm. year. So don't get me wrong there, but it's receiver, it's quarterback, it's offensive line. Those are the, the spots where it seems like there's an abundance of really good kids. Tennessee's in the mix for, and it wasn't an abundance of really good kids last year, but you look at last year's class, that's where they landed some pretty good kids. And that's just the nature of, what Josh Heupel's system can do, and that's you know kind of exactly what you were saying. And NIL plays a part. There's no doubt in that, and that's probably helped elevate Tennessee's success. But it still should be no surprise that you look at the positions where they're recruiting really, really well right now. It's the ones where those players have a ton of success in Josh Heupel's system. Yeah. Well, we'll see uh, where things go, uh, but it's an exciting time uh, next weekend for sure. So Tennessee fans, keep an eye on uh, next weekend on that front. Um V, uh, so the Vols drop BYU uh, next year in Provo, uh, and they add Virginia and Nashville. Um, a lot of thoughts. It seems like there is a. Uh, it, it's rare to have a gigantic fan base all ha- share one opinion on something, and I don't think I've met a Tennessee fan yet who uh, was excited about dropping the Provo game for Virginia and a neutral site in Nashville. Um, Ethan, what did you what did you make of the news, and do you like this at all for Tennessee, or is it just one of those where you're like, okay, I get that there's more money to be made by moving this to Nashville, better chance of not losing early to open the season, losing some momentum. We're not throwing potentially Nico, a true freshman, uh, to Kalani Sataki and his great BYU defense, who will now be a Power 5 team by that point. Um, I don't know. What do, What do you make of all of that? There's really not too many negatives, I guess, when when you really look at it from a Tennessee playing Virginia or Tennessee playing BYU. Everything else is just terrible, though. Uh, I I don't like neutral site games to begin with. I I feel like they're not really beneficial to anybody. Uh, BYU is a better team, better program, like you said with Sataki, better program than Virginia. And not to mention, just BYU in general, it's just, I've been there before, and it's just one of the most beautiful stadiums probably in college football. So just the fact that Tennessee fans won't be able to experience that, I feel like, be able to experience a, a game day there, and then obviously BYU fans came came to Knoxville and, and experienced Neyland Stadium last time, which, by the way, that was one of the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen in my entire life at that BYU game a couple years mm. ago. But but getting back on track, it, it just sucks for everyone involved, I feel like. Tennessee and BYU, I feel like, would have just been so much more fun of a game. And I feel like Nico isn't really exactly getting thrown into the fire against BYU than he would against Virginia anyway. It's not like either are powerhouses by any means. But I would still say BYU is the more quality opponent of the two. And Virginia, is, it's a fair opponent. At the very least, they didn't schedule some patsy i feel like in, in a neutral side game that wouldn't have been any fun but you still would like to see tennessee and byu see him hold through and in the same respect I, I get byu's moving and it probably helps them out a lot um obviously moving to the big 12 with the re- relocation stuff so it probably helps byu out a lot just to kind of ease some of the stress and some of the growing pains from that but it still is unfortunate to see ryan what do you think yeah i mean scrap 
anything about Nico. I mean, this is just a purely monetary financial decision. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if disappointing is the right word. And it's not surprising that Tennessee did it. I mean, it's all about the money, obviously, but. You don't think it's, it's scheduling a, chess at all? You don't think they look at it as a more likely win? I don't think so. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, no, I think Danny White's making that decision to get more get more money in the back pocket. Well, not his back pocket, but in the university's back yeah. pocket. I, I think it's purely a financial decision. And yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously the opposite of what what I want. I've been on my soapbox on here before about how disgusting neutral site games are, <laughs> and if you're going to play neutral site games against middling opponents, it's even more d- disgusting. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have two of the next four n- non-conference opponents for Tennessee: is Syracuse and Atlanta and Virginia in nashville i mean i, I can't wait for uh, oklahoma to be in, in the sec by 2024 so instead of getting a really cool non-conference game we'll get to go to charlotte to play georgia tech or something i mean it's, mm. it's ridiculous it's boring uh, in a time where georgia florida alabama all these top schools in the sec are scheduling non-conference series it's like it's going to be an eight game playoff where you can lose games i mean they're scheduling two really good teams mm. a year. tennessee won't step up to the plate and schedule one. And I, I know that edge, that part of it, I'm probably in the minority. I know most people would rather just have their wins, but I want to see Tennessee play good brands. I want to see Tennessee play matchups that when I'm sitting here in May recording a podcast with y'all talking about baseball and whatever, I'm like, man, I can't wait till week two of the season when Tennessee's going to play them. Virginia doesn't do that for me. Syracuse doesn't do that for me. Not a whole lot of people that Tennessee's scheduled in the next 10 years do that for me. The Nebraska series is one of the, the two that really does it for me. It's that in Washington and that mm. Nebraska series has already been postponed a decade. I mean, that thing was scheduled <laughs> like in 2007 or something. I mean, crazy, something crazy. It was originally, I think supposed to be 2016, 17, the, the Bristol game pushed it back mm. another couple of decades. So it's not shocking. It's college sports. In the end of the day, it's about the money. It's about cutting checks for the university, but not a fun road trip anymore. I was really looking forward to BYU and, a pretty boring matchup in, in a pretty boring venue that the, the Vols have played in pretty frequently the past decade. Yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting. I I do wonder in what you were talking about with expanding the playoff. I don't think it'll be eight. I think it's still going to be twelve when they do it. But um, if you get rid of the bowl system too, because they want to protect their bowl eligibility, where it's like if we think we might be on the 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 close end of six and six, we don't want to have a deep out of conference. Uh, schedule because that might be the difference in us getting bowl revenue but bowl games have just been destroyed uh by the playoff and just the opt-outs and just the level of care and obviously the purdue game was wild and that was a thing but there's still a lot of opt-outs purdue's best player didn't play on both sides of the ball (laughs) um so that was something where it's like it's not it's just not the same it's just an exhibition it's always been an exhibition but it's more of like a preseason exhibition game where everyone's just trying not to get hurt and it just uh it's just not not what we grew up with um so at that point it's like what if we throw that out and we expand the playoff and these teams aren't nervous about it then we can have all these home and homes and you can schedule better and all that kind of stuff but it's also like i don't like fear uh scheduling based on fear it's one of those where if you're worried about dropping one of those out of conference games early and that being a difference like then you're probably not a playoff team. You're probably not a team that can win the national title anyway. So at least give fans something that's fun. And it's just, I don't know. I think that's a silly way of looking at it. Like we got to stockpile some wins that no one cares about. And uh, like, that's just, fans don't, they're not going to look at it the same way. They're not going to be like, oh yeah, nine and three, but we had four wins against some uh, Akron East, Akron West and Akron North. Like that's just, you would sacrifice a win or two um, for some memorable, ga- memorable games and memorable stops all around the country. I don't. I think that's a misnomer, and I think uh, I've made this pitch before, but I think that you need to have a. I, I think every committee, and I think Greg Sankey and every AD needs to have um, like seven season ticket holders in the room before they make any decision about the sport. Where they're like, "What do you think?" As the fan who goes to the, like. Do you want this? What do you think the response will be from fans? Like just because they're not around them enough. They're not uh, inundated with what fans actually want and all that kind of stuff. But if you look at the reactions to Twitter, to that announcement, none of it was positive. None of it was positive. And I wonder if they saw that coming and they're just like, hey, it's fine. People will get over it or uh, or it's the alternative. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably people will get over it because it's you're right. Everyone was pretty negative about it, but I don't think anyone was super, super peeved off about it uh, either. I mean, in, in the end, mm-hmm. people will adjust. And 
and people will be happy. And to go back to my, to my point about scheduling, I pulled up Georgia's future scheduling. Mm. On top of playing Georgia Tech every year, which is basically the quality of team that Tennessee is best non-conference opponent is, 2023 to go to Oklahoma, 2024 to play Clemson, 2025 to go to UCLA, 2026 at Louisville, not much, 2027 at Florida State, Louisville, and Georgia Tech, 2028 mm. at Texas, Florida State, and Georgia Tech. 2029 Texas Clemson and Georgia Tech. I mean, they that's big time scheduling. And I mean, that's the extreme. So I'm not saying Tennessee needs to go to that effect. But if Tennessee wants to be a big boy power, schedule, schedule well. And this is a little different because this game's in two years. But your point about scheduling to get the extra win or don't you want to be bowl eligible, these games are scheduled like eight years in advance. Mm. You should probably be scheduling with some confidence that your program is going to be good in eight years. I think that says a lot more about how you feel about inside your program if you don't think. Man, we need this sixth win to get to a bowl game in 2029. So that, that's how I fall on a very anti-neutral site, very pro playing good teams. Tennessee kind of seems to be going in the opposite direction of both of those. Well, we'll see ultimately what happens there. Um, the last thing I want to mention, uh, there was a good piece in, uh, I think it was 247, uh, Vols 247, about um, the left tackle spot with Cade Mays and his departure and kind of like what he did for this program last year because he was not uh, planning to be the left tackle last year. And then obviously, I think people miss when people are concerned. We talk about the offensive line a little bit, who is returning four starters um, from a year ago. But one of the questions was, okay, who's replacing Cade Mays and uh, not getting him to return was worried fans. But if you recall, it's like he missed a lot of games, then he left games. So he was basically, he missed half the season thereabout. Um, and Tennessee got a lot of play without Cade Mays. And I think he only gave up like one sack at the left tackle spot this past year, which is pretty amazing. So obviously he was great when he was here, but um, guard was more of his his spot. He, he's going to be a guard in the NFL and that's going to be his bread and butter. And he'll hopefully do great in Carolina. But I, uh, I'm curious to see what happens at the left tackle spot because it seems like they are moving Darnell Wright to the right tackle spot where he's more comfortable and more natural and he's just going to be on he's he doesn't want to do that anymore he doesn't want to be on the strong side so he's more comfortable being a weak side uh offensive tackle so that's where he's going to go five star guy he's been great uh since he's been in the Tennessee program so he's a locked in guy Cooper's locked in but the question is who moves to Hendon Hooker's blind side. And Mincy is the favorite uh, based on this piece. And I thought that was interesting because you have um, uh, Davis, who's still in the room, the walk-on. So he was he got a lot of opportunities last year. And people are wondering, oh, will he get the shot? And it's like, I think I would rather have him be the utility guy where if injuries happen, like you have him, he's fine with that. He'll be fine if he, he has to plug and play and that kind of thing. But um, there is a battle between the Juco kid and uh, Mincy, and it seems like that's still going, and that's going to battle this, this summer. But Mincy's size is just incredible, and he's obviously the Florida transfer. Um, Ryan, are you comfortable with that being the situation at left tackle going into next year? No, but I think <laughs> it is the situation. Like I don't, I don't think Tennessee's going to go out in the transfer portal and add anybody there. Yeah, uh, I mean, they did. M- Mincy's the guy they, they've added, so... Uh, I don't think it, it's it's a huge to me a huge question mark by to me by far the biggest question mark on the offense. I mean, not even a close second mm. entering the season. And well, I mean, Jeremiah Crawford is the, the JUCO guy you yeah. talked about came in came in last year, and Heupel has been really really positive about him and his development. And he got that opportunity, I think, in the Music City Bowl because early in the year it was mainly Dane Davis uh, mm. to your point walk on when when Mays couldn't go, and then Crawford kind of took over that spot, but really neither of those guys were, were great when they played. So mm. to me, that's a huge question mark at the same time. Uh, I think I've made the same point was what you were saying. K Mays did miss a lot of time last year and it wasn't like Tennessee's offense just crumbled mm. uh, when he, when he wasn't out there. So I don't think it's debilitating to what Tennessee's going to be able to do on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, I think that's definitely a position of weakness and, and something that's going to be one really interesting just to follow that battle and who ends up winning it out. And then, when they make a decision, how much leeway does that player have? How productive can they be? And if they're not too productive, how eager is Glenn LRB and Josh Heifel going to be to maybe play multiple guys at that spot and kind of find the, the right mix exactly? Ethan, what do you think? 
Yeah, I was going to say to what what Ryan just said at the end there, I think it's going to be left tackle by committee to start the season. It might mm. be Crawford just because he's been in the system for a, a little bit longer. It's it's not like anything's really incredibly different, but obviously Mincy, like you said, with his size coming in, he was the, the backup tackle, I feel like, at, at Florida. So mm. I guess he presents something that, that's new, that's fresh to, to what um, Tennessee fans got with Crawford and Dane Davis last season. Also, like Ryan said, it wasn't by any means debilitating. It, it's definitely a, a point of weakness, but by no, no means was it debilitating and, and crumbling the offense. So I've, I feel like it's just going to be exactly what I said, just just left tackle by committee, and, and we'll probably figure that out by week two, week three. But it, I would lean towards Crawford just because he's been in the system longer, but it's it's really anyone's guess at this point. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But ultimately, um, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. But if it is Mincy, um, that's going to be something to monitor early on. I mean, Pitt on the road week two, and then, of course, the Florida battle on week four. So Tennessee's got to figure it out. Um, if Hendon Hooker's blindside's not going well, and we're seeing the PFF grades, and we got the Jalen Mayfield numbers uh, for Mincy or uh, Crawford at left tackle, we have a, we have a problem. Um Last thing, we'll hit on the baseball team. So last night, uh, <laughs> just um, I think I'm going to write about it later, but unbelievable, like what that was and what they did to uh, the Mississippi State Bulldogs um, on the SEC network. It's 27 to 2. Um, they blank Belmont 18 to nothing on Tuesday. Just evisceration <laughs> um, is the only way to really describe it. But I. I mean, I felt good, obviously, coming into the series. And Mississippi State, though, they needed this series to even make the SEC tourney in Hoover next week. And now that doesn't look like that's happening. looks like that ship has sailed, um, barring a crazy turn of events here uh, tonight and tomorrow. But uh, goodness gracious, Ethan. Ethan, what did you uh, what did you make of last night's beatdown of Mississippi State? 27 to 2. Well, obviously, of back to back to back home runs and, and just to, to, to start it off, and I feel like that was the exclamation point right then and there. And I mean, not not just not just yesterday, and in, in the past two games, I've, I've, I believe Tennessee's outscored opponents, and I get it's Belmont and a middling Mississippi State team right now, but fifty-one to two, if I'm not mistaken, that that seems pretty good. That, that's just in my opinion. But but yeah, when you have when you have the home runs just off the bat, and and obviously Dollinger throwing a no hitter through six innings, or through, I get yeah through six innings, and obviously gets pulled for for the right reasons. Uh, that was the right decision in my opinion. But it, it's just what it I guess is a testament to to what this team has been doing all season is that they're they're not really going to take their foot off the gas and they're they're just going to keep going. I mean, twenty seven to two is an absurd number. If if I'm not mistaken, it's the second most runs Tennessee scored in an SEC game like ever. I, mm-hmm. I believe I, I saw I forgot where it was last night I think they had 28 against Georgia in like the 90s or something like that and that, that's just an absurd number I've said the word absurd a lot because that's really the only way you can you can I feel like quantify this is it, it's just incredible what Tennessee baseball is doing right now Ryan what do you it, think yeah it's funny Ethan you should say the thing about you know I've said absurd so much I mean writing my <clears throat> little postgame story last night I just had to catch myself like I was just using the same like adjectives I like I don't even know how to like the most extreme adjectives is all you can use, and I'm just using the same ones. But no, I mean it. It didn't look like a Mississippi State team that was too eager to play in Hoover next weekend. I think they might they might be okay to punch their ticket, play 18 more innings, and have their season be done with. And I mean, you look at they turned it around a little bit a couple weeks in the middle of the season or middle of SEC play, but they were swept the last two SEC weekends coming into this one. They had a midweek loss to Sanford, I think two weeks ago. I think they beat. North Alabama, maybe this Tuesday. They got back in the win column, so they weren't entering in an eight-game losing streak. But the team is struggling a lot, and I think as crazy as the offense numbers are, if we're going to project and what matters about this game going forward, to me it's Chase Dolander, where there was a stretch, you know, the first the non-conference, the first three weeks at SEC play. It seemed like every time out, Tennessee's starting pitcher gave Tennessee a dominant performance. And then there was a really long stretch, like a month stretch, where Tennessee didn't really even get one of those. I mean, Blade Tidwell at Florida is probably the one example, but even then, his pitch count was limited, so he only threw, I think, five innings. And I say all this, it wasn't like Tennessee's pitching was bad in that that stretch. It was just a lot of five innings pitched, six innings pitched, two, three earned runs given up, which was good enough for Tennessee to win a lot of games, but it wasn't the, the sheer dominance that we saw earlier in the year. And the sheer dominance we saw earlier in the year was like 
Yeah, Tennessee's pitching is like this. Good luck even beating them in Omaha because mm-hmm. it's all about the pitching to me when you get to the postseason play. And for now, for Dolander to come back, back-to-back weeks, his first two starts since returning from injury, he's had elite starts. I mean, he looks like a Friday night. This is the guy that opens up a weekend for you, shuts down a team in the Super Regional, gets you a game one win in Omaha. I mean, that's what we've seen from Chase Dolander the last two weeks. And I think when you're looking at you know, 27-2 bludgeoning uh, that it was on Thursday night in Starkville, when you're looking at why does this matter going forward, it's more signs that Chase Dolander is 100% and that he is pitching at a, a really, really high level at the, at the right time in the season. Yeah, it's funny that Chase became, I mean, there's a lot of success with uh, the name Chase in Knoxville, as the good folks are uh, yeah. very aware of, but um, it was just easy. Like, it was just, he had some mean moments where he struck out one Mississippi State guy on three straight breaking balls, and it was just one of those helpless scenarios where it made this team that just won the College World Series last year, and obviously, like you alluded to, they... Uh, they've struggled and it's been a rough year. They're under 500. They're 15th in, uh, or 13th in SEC play this year. But, um, just chase was just moving through. Uh, he was mowing them down and what was it like 11 pitch inning after 11 pitch inning. And he wasn't taking a lot of time. He wasn't dilly dallying. It was just, it was wild. He's now, I think, I don't think it's a question if Tennessee is backed up against the wall and, and Omaha and Hoover, whoever, like Chase is the answer, I think. And then Vitello said on the broadcast that uh, it's a week, uh, they plan a weekend in advance or something, a week to two in advance, but when they're trying to figure out what the rotation is going to be and where they're going to use guys. So they don't go that far out in terms of uh, what they're going to do because it's just things change. And Blade's still a wild card. We'll see what happens there. We'll see how they use Xander um, going forward. But I don't know. I'm I'm very curious to see how Tennessee handles their just unbelievable collection of arms because they have a lot of a lot of great options. But I think there's no question you have to feel the best about Dolander going into uh, Hoover next week. So on the other side of things, outside of who I think Evan Russell just hit another double while we were recording this. Um, I uh, I just am blown away by um, what they did, obviously, with the 27 runs, but also just that, like, this freshman who just was nowhere to be seen all year long, and he obviously, because Luke, as uh, Vitello jokes, is 35 years old, and uh, he's only a couple years younger than Mike Concho, but I, uh, it, Luke Lipschitz, who's just raking, and he had a two-homer game last night, and just... Uh, outstanding uh, per usual from Luke, but he's been occupying that first base spot. So we haven't seen this guy and lefty huge size hit very easy swing. He kind of reminds me of Matt Olson. Like when I was watching him hit, he has a lot of Matt Olson vibes to me and just easy power. Like the bat doesn't, he doesn't look like he swings that hard, but the ball just leaves. And he had this crazy single deep to center early in that game where I've never seen a single like that in my life where it just like it was really hardly hit but it just do it just died like it, it's hard to explain folks but if you have had the time go see this single to deep center because I've never seen a single like that um but it's Mr. Burke Ryan like is there's no question this dude's a star but I I feel like you kind of have to figure out okay he, true freshman whatever I think he has to be in the lineup when games matter I think he's just too good yeah I mean I think if it's a right-handed pitcher uh, starting I think he's mm-hmm. going to be the starting DH going forward I, mean, okay. I think we're definitely moving in that direction and you're right I mean he's uh, going back to the fall there were three freshmen that you watched them hit and you're like wow this, these guys are talented it was Christian Moore Blake Burke and then Kavaris Tears who's registering this year he warms up Jordan Beck in right field between innings if anyone hmm. wants to, to catch a glimpse of him. Uh, very, very talented hitters. And, yeah, I mean, it's just such easy power, like you said. And uh, Tony Vitello said early in the year, like, to your point, when he really wasn't playing much, that he Blake Burke's the most talented hitter on the team, and he can't find the field. Like, that was kind of <laughs> one of our joking lines about how good this Tennessee team is, that your most talented hitter isn't even getting reps. And uh, he – has gotten the, you know, occasional, you know, maybe one game uh, a weekend DH start, but really hadn't shined with it. And I think was kind of pressing a lot, or at least that's what he said to us uh, earlier, I guess it was last weekend when he talked to the media. But now that he's kind of been getting more confident, I think this will be 
the second or third straight weekend that he gets multiple starts in the weekend. And I think he's just with those more reps and knowing that he doesn't, his, his job, uh, his playing time doesn't depend on every single at bat. I think it's just allowing him to calm down and uh, make baseball baseball. And, and when that's the case, Blake Burke is a really, really good hitter. And we've seen that to the nth degree the last few weeks. He's just going to be an absolute superstar. Like that guy, I just, I am so excited to see. Like any Tennessee fan who's worried about the, the talent that's departing after this season, Tennessee's fine. <laughs> I think they're going to be okay. Um, uh, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, Ethan, how do you see the rest of the series going? Do you see a sweep? Do you uh, do you see Mississippi State getting a game? This is your opportunity to be clairvoyant because the good folks will <laughs> the second game two will have already happened when this goes up. So, how do you see it going tonight and the rest of the series? Oh, if I get an opportunity to clear be clairvoyant, I'll say I'll say Tennessee. I mean. Uh, they, they went 27 to two. Like I'd be stupid not to say sweep, right? Uh, mm. I, I, I feel like you got to say sweep. So I'll try and guess the score and, and really up my clairvoyance here. I'll say, I'll say 10 to three uh, mm. today, I guess, I guess Friday. And then I, I think it, it'll be another probably uh, nine to maybe nine to one. I don't know. That's I completely pulled that up somewhere, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I'd be dumb to say not a sweep the way they played on, on in opening on Thursday. I think they deserve a sweep based on the fan who was shouting so much early about I got it. The the I got it guy, I think, ruined it for me. Um, I think Mississippi State fans deserve a lot of respect for staying for that game. They were still just packed. Like they were not leaving. And um that was that was pretty amazing. Uh shout out to Hale State fans because they sat through that whole game. Um that was that was great. But um yeah i don't know the guy who kept yelling i don't know if y'all heard it on the broadcast the dude just like i got it every pop-up that dolander was uh carving up but it's just those folks i mean there's some of them like i should be careful because there are some of them in Lindsay nelson who uh who <laughs> love to get involved uh in the game and be part of the story but um i don't know we'll we'll see what happens ryan what do you what do you see happening the rest of the series and then hoover do you would uh, the Arkansas matchup is what we all want. That's just what we want in Hoover, right? Like that's just the last remaining box to check for this Tennessee team before regionals. Yeah, uh, I'll side with the exact same thing Ethan said. It's, mm. I mean, it's baseball, so obviously anything can happen. But the team wins twenty-seven to two in game one. It feels like you got to you got to pick up the sweep when they're significantly the better team. So I'll go with the same thing. And then yeah, I mean Hoover will as always, be interesting. It's just such a strange tournament. I mean, Mississippi State, the perfect example. Last year, they get run-ruled in their first two games, and they go on to win the College World Series. So it's not necessarily an indicator of success going forward, but I think it's a tournament Tennessee cares about. Uh, still hasn't, you know, losing in the championship game last year. Hasn't won it in a long, long time. And then hopefully the potential to, to get an Arkansas matchup. We didn't get one in the regular season, and it would be it would be nice to get one in Hoover, and if not that, maybe a super regional or the College World Series down the road. I want you to guess, or not guess, true or false, Ethan. Blake has a brother named Boss Burke. I feel like that's way too niche for you to tell me, and it not be true. So I'm going to say true. It is true. Boss yeah. Burke <laughs> is uh, a member of the Burke family, which is just incredible. Boss Burke. I need him on this roster too. I don't know if he plays baseball, but you know what? He could be like a fullback. His name in is 19... Bosper. He plays baseball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that that little league uh, a while ago? The, the guy's name was Cash. Cash. Or he had a brother yeah, named Cash. Money, yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, it that's, was that's something who I was like that. Of when I when I uh, when I made that comment, that's exactly who I was thinking of. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. <laughs> it's funny. I'll bring up Cash because um, uh, fiance and I have talked about this, but. Um, if I go like, cause my legal name's not chase. So, uh, I've always gone by chase. That's like how they've always like, my parents have called me chase from day one, but, um, not my legal name, but it's, if we do something similar, if we have a, a kid cash is up there. Cause I'm like, I, I cash Thomas is cash like, Thomas. there's the chase, the verb, but cash Thomas is going to be a superstar Tennessee baseball player. Like that is that. It's pretty strong, pretty strong. Like the cash, there's only some things you can do. Like names can dictate where you're gonna go in life sometimes, and cash is one of those where he uh, he's not running for student body president. Like that's uh, it's not gonna be his thing. Um, 
he's not leading the science fair. That's just not uh, not going to be his bread and butter. Unfortunately, he's going to be drawn to uh, to the pigskin or to the baseball diamond. Like that's just where he's going to end up. Like there's just no way around it. Cash, yeah, it's just it's ridiculous. Like he'll he he might come out of the womb with a chain. Like that's a strong possibility. Chase said, "I I ain't raised no nerd." <laughs> Well, no, it's just because I am, and it was just one of those where it's like I, I was a pretty good uh, baseball player, but I uh, obviously I just not big enough, and I, I was not good enough to go to the next level or anything like that. But cash, there's an opportunity there. Cash, there's an Sound, opportunity to go to the next level. Sounds like a shooting guard to me. Shooting guard? Opinion. Okay. Yeah. Shooting um, guard. I mean, we'll see. Not a lot of height in my side of the family. Like, yeah, I'm almost six feet, fair. but I just basketball is not. <laughs> conducive to long-term uh athletic prowess thing in the thomas family you gotta you gotta do the things where uh you can be 5 11 6 foot and uh make a college career of it and be a good player um there you go ryan anything that we should check out this week in rocky top insider nope just uh, normal stuff we'll have stuff on dj jefferson's uh, announcement uh i guess it'll be out it'll be made by the time that you all are listening to this so we'll have that and then uh, a lot of stuff on the basketball front this week is a lot of roster movement and then tons of stuff on the the, the baseball series in starkville this weekend there you go um what about you ethan you retired from the utk daily beacon but you got the five-star prep coverage going this week yeah we got substate stuff for for baseball coming up soon so i'll most likely be covering some of that and make some extra cash on the side a lot of target i feel like is going to be on on my docket in the in the coming weeks but but that's okay there you go there you go all right ethan ryan thank you as always congratulations on uh graduation congratulations on graduation that's a weird thing to say back to back um but very exciting, very exciting, and I'm happy for you guys, and I hope you enjoy the weekend and festivities, and that's it. You're no longer Tennessee students. That's it. This is it on the podcast. You're banned. You're time. kicked out. You're kicked out. We're gone. You're gone. The internship is over. <laughs> Ryan, Ethan, thank you so much. Talk to you all soon. Of course. All right, that'll do it for hour one here on the Chase Most Podcast. Stick around for hour two with the Atlanta sports guys, Max and Garrett, on this very feed coming up right after this. Um, so go check out that uh, portion of today's uh, Chase Thomas Podcast. That'd be great. Uh, tweet at me at Chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, you can also email this very program at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. All right, hour two coming up in just one second. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast, hell yeah.